I continue to run into these uh, disturbing trends. Flirting goes on constantly and inside the church, the constant temptations, the pressures. There's so many being lied to about uh, sexual activity before marriage. So I know that there's a lot of pressure coming against young single women in general. Hi, everyone. This is Brooks Popwell. At Pure Life Ministries, while a lot of our time is spent ministering to men in sexual sin, we know that women also are grappling with how to respond to this issue in various ways, whether they've been impacted by their husband's sin or have faced the allure of sexual temptation themselves. Jessie Meldrum is one of our women's counselors, and she shares her burden to help today's single women who may not have fallen into sin, but will undoubtedly face a struggle to keep their relationships pure before marriage. Then we'll hear an article by A.W. Tozer that gives all of us hope as we deal with difficult inner problems, the plagues of the heart. And finally, Kathy Gallagher encourages women who have been hurt by their husbands and are discouraged by the discovery of their own spiritual problems during the painful trials they're facing. This is Purity for Life. Jesse, we're talking to women particularly today, as you know, and I know your desire, particularly as far as helping women with the sexual sin issue, is to help these women before they would get involved in any kind of sexual sin. So I wanted to start by asking you, in your experience as a counselor, what is the need you've seen as far as single women and the issue of purity? Well, I think the first place to start is an understanding of that word, purity. When I think of pure, my mind automatically goes to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 8, where Jesus says, Blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. And um, purity is not just in terms of sexual purity, but if if you think about the words that that Greek uh, word would um could be defined as uh, as clean or clear, uh, free from corrupt desire, blameless, innocent, unadulterated, uncontaminated, unstained. Um, This goes deeper than just um, one issue of purity, but it, it goes to really even the motives of the heart, that our hearts would be clean before the Lord. So to begin with, there where Jesus was laying the foundation of the Christian faith, he was... uh, declaring purity as a as something that he holds very highly and that we need to strive after purity to actually see God. So uh, it is his will for everyone to walk in purity, to walk out this Christian faith with pure hearts. Okay, well, more specifically then on sexual purity, what is your overall perspective on that issue? So um, continue in the Sermon on the Mount and in uh, Matthew five twenty-seven through 30, verses 30, Jesus it gives severe warnings about uh, sexual immorality, and they're strong warnings. So 
we can assume from that, again, that God has very strong feelings about purity and that um, we will be held accountable for how we lived out this um, command to be pure. Even if you go into the New Testament writings and you can find this, uh, this subject of sexual purity over and over again with the warnings that, um, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, just to name a few um, chapters where this is spoken of, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, Hebrews 13, Revelation 21. Again, all this to me means that this is of, of highest importance to the Lord, and so therefore we should take heed to it. The thing I think is most important, whether it's for the single women or any of us, is that our eternal soul is the most precious thing we own. We need to, to guard it. As a counselor, uh, I, I just continue to run into these uh, disturbing trends. The, um, in many circles, the holiness can be portrayed as out of date or impossible to practice in real life due to the constant temptations, the pressures. Uh, there's so many being lied to about uh, sexual activity before marriage. So I know that there's a lot of uh, pressure culturally, and of course we have the enemy of our souls, Satan, coming against young single women, single women in general. And um, I, I guess I would just want to remind women that the Lord still has promised us a way of escape, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, that he will not allow any temptation in your life that he will not provide a way out, not give you the strength, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the the Word of God to help you. So he, he has provided everything you do need to overcome these temptations. You know, I think one phrase you've used to me as we've talked about this is that you feel women are to be guardians of their purity. Can you explain to me a little more what you have in mind when you're saying that and why you feel that that is important? Sure. Let me just do this with giving the scenario of a couple that are engaged to be married. The young woman in this relationship is, I would say, stronger in the area of sexual purity than the man. I believe that God has put something within the heart of women to want to guard their purity. I know 150 years ago, there was no question. Women, they just knew they were to, uh, there were lines to be drawn in relationships, and um, and they would not allow a man to cross that line. So I know that we have been influenced by our culture now, and, and women have been exposed to a lot more of um, the immorality in our world. However, I believe that still exists, that that desire to be pure still exists in women. And so if I were counseling a couple and um, individually counseling this young woman that was engaged, I would uh, warn her strongly about the temptations that come during that time of engagement, that um, they're going to be tempted. So I would put it on her that if anything crosses a line, and I'm not, I'm, I'm saying not just um, it, it crosses to the point of, of 
uh, a sexual act, but I'm saying any inappropriate touching, anything that would fall under uh, the um, that uh, area of of impurity, I would tell the young woman, if it crosses a line, it is your fault. God put this in you, and you have to guard this purity, this desire he put in your heart to be a pure, holy virgin on the day of your wedding. So, um, and I know that's kind of out there right now for this culture, but I believe it can be done. And I know uh, from personal experience, I know it can be done. Well, I know you're speaking primarily to women today, but obviously purity is not just a one-sided thing. Is there anything you want to add to the men as far as what is their part to play in this discussion? The um, other side of this for young men that might be listening, single men who might be listening, is I would hope in the premarital counseling, you would be counseling with a man that would tell you, you are desiring to be the priest of your home. You soon will be. Therefore, you need to begin now with uh, being the priest by protecting your wife, even from yourself, from pressuring her to do things. So the um, the right thing for you to do is to, to love your your to-be wife as Christ loved the church is you should love her more than you love yourself and your own urges and desires. So anyway, I, I would hope that the couple would be counseled both ways. But again, um, as a woman, I would counsel a young woman, you need to guard it. I would say there's, in this area, God has put a strength in you um, that you need to be the one. There's this uh, monstrous sex drive in this man that you're engaged to. And so where he is weak, you need to be strong. And of course, it's the Lord that will make you strong in that area. You know, I think it's really great that you're speaking so honestly in this way. I mean, it takes someone like you who's been there, who's talked to these women, and, you know, it's kind of a bold way you're speaking about this issue. I mean, you're showing us clearly that here's what the Word of God says, and it hasn't changed. So I was wondering if you could maybe comment a little more on just the biblical viewpoint toward this issue. The biblical idea of purity is... Um, before marriage, we can see it, Matthew nineteen five that the two would come together and become one flesh, only under the marriage covenant. Before marriage, uh, this uh, sexual um, touching or any kind of sexual activity is rebellion. It's sinful. After marriage, it is blessed by God. We have to do it the way God told us to do. Otherwise, we are in disobedience. We are in rebellion. And let me just say, add this, too, that for those who feel like this is just a heavy burden to um, have to to curb the, our natural desires for each other, in First uh, John 5, we're told that the Lord's commands are not burdensome. And I would say that when you love Jesus with all your heart, when you have this hunger for God, the desire for him, it will create a desire for holiness. And that is really what will guard you from giving over to sin of any kind. 
Psalm 24, one of my favorites, uh, says, Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. If your desire is first and foremost for the Lord to be uh, pure before him, this hunger that drives you to say no to sin of any sort, that's what really will protect your heart and these temptations and any other. Jesse, I just want to interject a question here and ask, is there anything you would want to say in the midst of all this about the subject of women who have suffered sexual abuse of some kind? I do want to add, Brooks, that uh, women are not to take blame for unwanted sexual experiences. And we know, uh, obviously, we've heard much on it lately how that happens in our culture. Women who have suffered incest, rape, uh, anything that has been unwanted, uh, these women are not to blame, and they should not take the guilt and the self-condemnation on themselves. The perpetrator, especially as a child, if, if any unwanted sexual experience happened to you, the perpetrator was the adult, and that person is to blame, not the child. Also, young women can find themselves in, in bad situations that they did, not, not of their own making, uh, that they didn't create, and, and some very horrible things can have happened to women. So again, they should not carry the guilt and that condemnation with them. Um, and of course, they need to run to Jesus when those thoughts, especially if they keep replaying over and over in their mind, um, it's the Lord can be your refuge in it and help you to receive healing. You kind of touched on earlier about just the general mindset that's out there and the pressure that women are under um, when it comes to what their relationships should look like. So can you describe a little more like what that pressure's like that sometimes is compelling women to maybe compromise their purity in ways they wouldn't otherwise do? Well, one of the things I know as a, a woman, and especially remembering back as being a young woman, there is this, for most of us, there to some degree, there is this fear of rejection. And one of the things that, that plagues women in relationships is that fear. They they don't want to be rejected by this man, especially when they, they love him or they think they love him. They tend to do things that they wouldn't in other circumstances do, but they so desperately want his approval and, and are so afraid of rejection. There's this pressure of for young women that you don't have real value unless you have a boyfriend, you have a man in your life. So to not have that causes these women untold uh, challenges in their life, and, and it stems from this desire to be wanted and loved and needed. And when that's not there, again, it's that fear of rejection. So they will do things that, again, they would not have done. If you took them out of the relationship maybe six months before they even met this young man and ask them, would you do this with a man? Would you do that? They would, no, I would never. But but that fear of rejection can be so strong. They don't want to lose him. And, and he can even hint 
to them or outright tell them if if they're not willing to give in in this area, then he will no longer be their boyfriend. So they can uh, completely give over to things they know God does not want them involved in. My other thought along these lines is the inherent problem that we have as women, and that is to uh, make idols out of men that we are so desperate for a man in our lives, so desperate for the affections that we create this idol in our life and we end up obeying this idol rather than the Lord Jesus because this is what we think we have to have in order to be happy in life. And so we bow down to this idol of a man and it, again, can create so many issues and problems in the life of a woman, a single woman. The best thing, best advice I can give, and I do give when I see this in a, in a young woman, is uh, remember the commandments way back in Exodus, you are to have no other gods before him. If the Lord is not your God, if you are not submitted to him, worshiping him and him only, these other idols, these other gods in your life will let you down. They will fail you at some point. So the um, best thing to do is do what you were made for, to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, because he will never hurt you. Just to get practical here at the end, you know, I'm sure girls are listening, women are listening that are in relationships here that, and they're hoping, looking towards marriage. What would be maybe some advice you would give and things to watch out for? Well, one of the things I would definitely caution single women is be careful about two ways in which you draw men to yourself. And one of those is dressing for the attention of men and also flirting Obviously, we need to be holy in how we dress. We need to make sure we are pleasing to Jesus. Every time you leave your home, you should be pleasing to Jesus with what you are wearing. That That is not legalism. That's a desire to be near Jesus, to walk holy because he is attracted to holiness. He's attracted to purity. The other thing I would mention is flirting. I know this goes on constantly and inside the church it happens in youth groups and and college career groups with young adults it seems to be that's one of the avenues used to be able to convey to a young man that you're interested in him however uh, it's dangerous for a few reasons one of the reasons is uh, you are actually using his weakness to lure him in. I'd like to just mention uh, scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7. It, it starts out talking about the will of God being that, to abstain from sexual immorality and that we should know how to possess our own vessels in honor and not in the passion of lust. Then this is the, uh, verse 6. I really want to zero in on that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified for God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. Girls, when you flirt, when you dress to attract a young man, you are taking advantage 
of, again, this very strong sex drive that's in a man, you are are being the predator, if I can use that strong a word, but you have found his weakness, and in essence, you are exploiting it to get him. This is not pleasing to the Lord. And, and I guess, really, I don't even have to say any more after that, because if you want to please God with your life, if you want to walk in purity and holiness, you're not going to be hurting your brother, taking advantage of your brother, of his weakness. All right. Now, again, as a guy, I have to ask you, could you say anything as far as two men from that same perspective, how what you're doing impacts and possibly harms the other person? Single men, you can also do this, obviously, to young women. You can take advantage of their weakness of being wanted and desired and loved. So, Paul is giving us a warning here in First Thessalonians about um, being concerned about the um, accountability that we will be uh, have to give to God in regards to taking advantage of another's weakness. Make sure that that your interactions are pleasing to the Lord, and that the conversation uh, should be such that you would have with any Christian that that truly loves God. Jesus should be your favorite topic to talk about. There's no reason that you have to bring flirting into it. And I'll say for you young women who are looking for a godly man, if you have to draw him in with flirting, with dressing in a certain way, that is not a godly man. He is looking for someone who is a godly woman. And so what what else is going to bring you together than sharing Jesus with each other, your desires to live a godly life and to serve him with, with your whole life? That is the kind of conversation that you want to have with the man that you want to marry. Well, you've presented a lot of things to think about here, and I know Unfortunately, not everybody can say that they have kept themselves pure. What would you advise somebody who is approaching this topic and knows that there has been failures there? Where do they go from that point? More than once, I have counseled young women who said to me, I wish I could go back to this point in time, or I wish I could be a child again. It is very hard to come to the realization of losing your purity and uh, realizing that it's not something you can ever recover, have back again. However, we have such wonderful promises from the Lord, and he is so compassionate towards those who have sinned, who have broken his heart over and over again. He still has mercy. I'm thinking of a verse I love in Isaiah 55, and it's verse 7. It talks about that the wicked would forsake their way, that that the Lord, he would have mercy, and he will abundantly pardon. I love that phrase, abundantly pardon, meaning that it's not just he's begrudgingly forgiving, but he's abundantly pardoning, that that even though, yes, you have sinned against him, and yes, you have knowingly broken his laws, his commandments, broken his heart, still he will receive you back to him, that 
invitation that's constantly coming from the heart of God to receive us back when we have sinned against him. And then we have examples in Scripture of Jesus reaching out not to the good people so much as to the prostitutes, the sinners, uh, these those who um, willfully sinned against the Lord, knowing that they shouldn't. So his grace is so wonderful. And, and so if you have done things in the past, if you have sinned against the Lord, he is so willing to forgive and receive you back. You just have to cry out to him and throw yourself on his mercy. Of course, when we're talking repentance, which is what we're talking about, it means a change of heart and a change of life. So when we truly repent, we can't go back and do the same things we did. We have to ask the Lord for his help, for his strength to walk holy, to to in every area of our life, to desire to be pleasing to him and and that we would not continue to to give over to sexual sin of any kind. So that's what how we can know that true repentance has happened, that there's truly godly sorrow and not worldly sorrow, that we are willing to stop what we are doing to uh, begin something new. And then we have that promise uh, from the Lord in Psalm, I think it's 103, that the as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He is more than willing to forgive, and his arms are wide open to the repentance center at any time we would call out to him in repentance and then we can expect times of refreshing from the Lord. One of the foundational truths of God's word as it relates to counseling and something we have to constantly repeat here at Pure Life is that the source of all our problems is inside of us, in our hearts. And while that reality can seem very painful to admit, It's the starting point for real transformation and freedom. A.W. Tozer, a noted American pastor and author of the last century, was a man who truly walked with God, and he shared profound insights about the spiritual life through his writings. This short essay of his, called Heart Plague, takes an honest look at the deceptive and dangerous human heart, and it also presents the unchanging power of God that can deliver us and change us no matter what our hearts are like. The plague of the heart is more dangerous than Satan. Satan can only destroy that which has the plague in it. He cannot harm a man without the plague. If a man has a plague in his heart, that's Satan's invitation. And it's through that that Satan gets at the souls of men. Jesus said, The prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But when the prince of this world came to Peter, he found cowardice. And when he came to Judas, he found the love of money. He found the plague in those two men, and he ruined one and almost ruined the other. Satan is destructive only when he has somewhere to work. And the strange accompaniment of this plague of the heart is that hardly anyone will admit its presence. Few are willing to admit that there's any plague there because it carries shame and fear. But there is no help possible until we know, that is, until the Holy Spirit has made it plain. Nobody goes to the blood for cleansing until he knows. 
that he is ill, that he is unclean, that he has a plague. The terrible thing about the plague of the heart is that you can't get to it. No surgeon can cut it away. No psychologist can probe it. It goes deep into the nature, and you can't get at it. Nobody can help you, and you can't help yourself. It lies there, incubating. Maybe it isn't very large yet, but it's growing, hatching, developing, getting into the bloodstream, into the life. But the danger is that we don't know we have this plague. It's like a panther. It has protective coloration, and it can sneak up on you. It can take over unsuspected. It can lay its deadly eggs under the leaves of the Garden of Eden, and there it can incubate, and suddenly it appears and spreads and bursts out into the open, into ruinous conduct and habits, like the plague of lust. A man can work hard and sweat out in a ministry, and never know that there lies in his heart undetected, uncorrected, and unpurified the plague of lust. And the next day, it may be all in the papers. There is pride that lies in the human breast, and we don't know it's there. But it lies there and incubates. I meet a lot of people who are resentful. Then there are secret sins. Then there are hidden grudges. And there is envy. There's no help possible except God and God alone. Only God can stop a plague. Nobody else can. The old writers called it the cleansing of the forgiving love of God. I like that expression. They also talked about the restoration of moral innocence. You know you have sinned, but you've been so completely cleansed that you feel as if you haven't. You know you have, and you're penitent. But the cleansing is so complete that it leaves you like a child again, innocent by the forgiving love of God and the cleansing of the blood. God can heal the plague. He heals it by blood and by fire. There is a word that has been lost from our Christian vocabulary. It's the word purgation, or the word purge. We don't use it anymore. We invite people to the altar to get something, but we forget that what they ought most to receive is purgation, a purging, a cleansing. Jesus Christ purges and cleanses and takes the plague spot out. I don't know what to call this doctrine I'm preaching. I only know that there is blood and fire, and that it will take the impurity out and make you clean and keep you clean. So that you'll not be in danger of having an incubation of iniquity in your spirit that'll break out on you. Call it what you will, and classify yourself where you will doctrinally on this subject. There is such a thing as a victorious life. What we need is a refining fire to fall on our hearts to kill the plague. Some people have coddled the plague spot and made a pet out of it. Men have euphemized it. Fixed it up with a euphonious name, so that it doesn't sound the way it used to. We may rename things, but they're the same old plagues. What we need is cleansing. 
I know what God can do for a man. I had a temper so bad that one time I got so mad it made me sick. I went to bed in illness. I've seen my father get so mad that he would pull a horse back on her haunches until the bit made her mouth bleed. I've seen my father lose his temper and get so angry he would grab a shovel and beat the wheelbarrow in insane anger. I had that same thing, a temper that would leap and go. The precious blood of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit has made me unlike my father, though I grew up to be like him. God can deliver you from evil habits and evil tendencies and tempers. Francis Ridley Havergal said the following, quote, This experience came to me when I arrived at the place where I knew in my heart that when the Holy Spirit said, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin, He meant from all sin. Any really experienced counselor, someone who's gone through what you're going through, will know where the obstacles are along the path. For wives whose husbands have been in sexual sin, there's lots of tough issues that come up. The pain of the betrayal may seem like the most obvious thing a wife would face, but Kathy Gallagher, our ministry's co-founder, knows it will be a challenge for a wife to relate to God in the midst of her trials. Kathy discusses a letter she received where a wife related how hard it was to move forward spiritually once she began to see what she was really like inside. Kathy, let's talk now about a letter you wrote to Karen. Karen had written to you and was questioning her walk with God because of the way she was treating her husband. In this letter, it seems like what she's wondering is just how can she have a relationship with the Lord how can she worship the Lord when she's seeing this evil that is inside her? Yeah, this particular woman probably dealing with a little bit of bitterness from their past relationship and the things that he had done. And I know that it's easy to give over to anger and bitterness in the heat of a moment and then try to go and be with God. And you've got this baggage now. I just blew it with my husband. How can I enter into the presence of God? But, you know, we all come to the Lord that way. I think every person on the planet that's ever professed Christ as their Savior has had the same struggle. You mean just this idea that we have to be perfectly clean to come into worshiping the Lord or just to spend any time with Him? Yeah, and just seeing your heart. We all have to come to grips with what our heart is like. And I know I've said to the Lord a million times, if I've said it once, my heart is so black, Lord. And I always want to say, how can you love me? But that's the beauty of the cross. The blood of Christ has cleansed us from that, you know. So when I have blown it with my husband or someone else, I can come to the Lord, not in a presumptuous spirit, but in a in humility, ask for forgiveness and know I've been forgiven. I don't have to clean myself up. I don't have to do 90 hours of penance before I can enter into the throne room of God. I can come just as I am and I'm forgiven and I can move on. And a lot of these women that I deal with, so many of them, they're so sincere. They really want to do the right thing. And they, they see their failures. They see their mistakes. They see how they've maybe with their mouth condemned their husbands or just treated them badly. And they they just drag themselves into God's throne room. But I want to encourage these women who are really sincere, who are walking with Jesus, trying to do the right thing. God does see 
and he knows what they're going through, and he forgives us when we fail. It's, he doesn't hold it against us. That's what we're like. That's how we are, and I think that's why we struggle so much with God is we sometimes think he's like we are, but he's nothing like us. Well, as we talk further about all this, can you comment on gratitude and how being grateful for what God's done in our lives can help a person overcome that sense of condemnation? Yeah, we regularly have people that we're counseling with make gratitude lists because if your heart is full of gratitude, it won't be full of bitterness. It transcends all the other things that lodge themselves in our hearts. In your response to Karen, you talked about how important your quiet times with the Lord were in overcoming bitterness in your own heart. I wonder if you could elaborate some about that quiet time and maybe give some practical advice about what that practice looks like. Well, it's just absolutely the answer to any sin, any bitterness, anger, fear, all of those things that I struggled with myself. I found in my prayer time, my walk with Jesus to be everything I needed. God would give me what I needed. And worship was particularly important to me to overcome just all the stuff that wives have to deal with that have been hurt by their husbands. I think the most important thing that I could communicate to women, it's not that you show up for a prayer time, an obligatory period where you're sitting before God. Rather, you are coming into a quiet, secluded, secret place where you and the Most High will have communion. And that's what it was for me. It was a time when I could get away from the world, get away from myself, get away from all the stuff that I had to deal with, and I was closed in with my maker. It just became a molding time, really, where the potter would get me up on the table and start spinning that wheel, and he was doing things in me. Sometimes it was painful, sometimes it was glorious, but God could shape me, and God could mold me, and God could change my mind, and God could transform me, and and he could give me his thoughts and take away my thoughts that were so often so earthly and so carnal. You know, Kathy, I'm guessing it must be important, particularly for those women who are dealing with condemnation like this, to know that the Lord really desires to have that intimate time with them. That's right. He does. And nothing should stop us from coming to God. He does not expect us to come clean. He expects us to come so he can clean us up. And we don't have to have it all together. We have to come in a humble spirit. We have to come reverentially and in a repentant heart. But God is the one who changes us and eradicates that condemnation from our hearts. Well, before we go today, I just want to say for women out there who are listening, if you found this episode helpful and maybe you're thinking, I'd like to hear more things that are geared toward me and what I'm going through. Well, I have good news. We do have more content for you. Over the past year or so, we've done a number of other episodes specifically for wives and other women who are dealing with issues related to sexual sin. I'd encourage you to go to purelifeministries.org slash podcast and check out episodes 320, 321, 322, and 336. Our desire is that these podcasts will give you hope as you seek God's help for your life. Well, that's all for today's show. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. 
All that and more at purelifeministries.org.